Jesus, in his most vulnerable state, is tempted. A reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you're God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It's written, people won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said, since you are God's son, throw yourself down there. For it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up into their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied again, again, it is written, don't test the Lord your God. Then the devil brought him into a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said, I'll give you all of these if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, go away, Satan, because it is written you will worship the Lord your God and serve only God. Then the devil left him and angels came and took good care of him. Glory to God. Well, now, good and gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, sisters and brothers, grace to you this morning and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to begin this morning by describing some people who share something in common. There's the friend of mine, Carolyn, whose daughter died of a rare connective tissue disease at the age of 21. This was several years ago, and two years after her daughter's death, she said to me, Julie, I'm still in the ICU of grief. I haven't even made it to a regular room yet. Then there's the couple who've been slogging through the painful journey of infertility. Their lives consumed by doctor's visits and daily shots and monthly cycles and the annual agony on Mother's Day and Father's Day. Worst of all is the loneliness, even the loss of close friendships. They tend to just drop off the face of the earth, said one woman, because they don't know what to say to you. They're in the mom group and you're not. Or finally, there's the man who discovers that the theological boxes he was handed as a child feel too small now that he's in his 40s. His childhood faith now feels like a pair of shoes that don't fit anymore. And so he takes them off and then finds himself in a season of profound disorientation. I feel as though I've lost my faith, he says. What all of these people hold in common is that each of them is having a wilderness experience. A moment or a season or multiple seasons when the going is hard and the steps are painful and it's not at all apparent that God is anywhere to be found. And I think you and I know that every time we gather in this room, some of us are there. 
struggling in the midst of, of some wilderness. And if we're not now, we will be. Sooner or later, we'll encounter times of loneliness, times of disorientation and loss, times of testing, times when it feels as though God is far away. We're in the wilderness. We're in the desert. The wilderness plays a major role in scripture. Our sacred text begins in a garden and ends in a garden but in between it seems like one barren wilderness after another. Abraham and Sarah spend most of their lives in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. The Hebrew children after God rescues them from slavery in Egypt spend 40 years in the wilderness. Hagar Moses, David, Elijah, Paul, all of these spent significant time in the wilderness, alone, not at home, tested. So it really shouldn't surprise us that the very first event in Jesus' adult life after his baptism was a wilderness challenge, a desert experience. I mean, he still has water from the Jordan dripping off his back when he is sent out into the desert to wander alone for 40 days and 40 nights in a desolate place. Even Jesus the Christ wasn't protected from embarking on a wilderness walk. The wilderness takes a lot of different forms. People find themselves in the wilderness. Nations can experience seasons, sometimes long seasons, of where it feels like a desert. Our country seems to be stuck in such a place now. Churches find themselves in the wilderness, and I believe Christianity itself is facing a desert as younger Christians abandon the church in record numbers. It feels like a desert time when the religious and social structures around us are starting to give way. And especially, I think, for privileged people, feeling some of our privilege being stripped away can feel disorienting and frightening like a wilderness. I don't imagine that many people wish for the wilderness. It's painful. It's lonely. It's full of danger and disorientation. The thing is, God's spirit can lead us, can lead people into such a place. In fact, maybe you're there now. What's more, God actually may be calling you to go even farther into your desert, to show you your heart, to clarify your purpose, to prepare you for the long, hard work of seeking justice and making peace, to help you maybe shed some attachments that aren't all that good for you. Most of us are in some ways attached to something, image, reputation, position, possessions, career. And so our personal wilderness times are painful because it's a time of detaching, coming unstuck from these things. I want to point out today, and I want to commend to all of us, one of the main ways that Jesus dealt with his testing in the wilderness, in the, in the text that Elisa read just a minute ago, what Jesus does is shows us the way of memory. Jesus didn't have a Bible with him. Jesus did not go trekking into the desert with sacred scrolls in his arms. 
He faced his fire, as we all do, with whatever he had stored up inside his mind and heart. And so he responds to the tempter with words from Deuteronomy, words from the Psalms, and who knows how many minutes or hours or even days of struggle may have passed before that saving word came into focus for him as an answer. But what we do know is that he had stored living words inside himself. And in the throes of his testing, they rose up in him and became his answer. Do you know how much it matters what you store inside yourself? What you gaze upon and reflect upon? What you hear, what you read and give yourself to remember? See, the soul extends its roots into the soil of memory and draws up whatever is there. And so it's crucial that we nourish the soul with what will strengthen and sustain us. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean filling up our minds with religious material. Much of what passes for Christian books or music will make you as shallow as the tabloids will. And by the same token, some of what is referred to by some as secular literature and drama and music will bring you to the very presence of God. The point is that we let our souls drink deep from the things that will help bind us to God, whose name is love. I think the, the Apostle Paul was pointing us in that direction when he said, you, you, you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. And so in his desert, three times Jesus is tested and three times he remembers he remembers Holy Scripture and what it tells him. He remembers God and God's love for him. And he remembers his own name and where he's from and, and what his calling is in the world. I think a lot of us dread the wilderness, our times of testing. But what if we came to regard the desert as a friend, as a nourishing, deepening experience for us? Certainly the Bible over and over again portrays the wilderness as a place where God feeds you and leads you and cares for you. The wilderness or the desert can become for us a place of transformation and growth. For one thing, the desert can provide time for deeper discernment. Times in the wilderness, especially if it includes silence and solitude, give us the Space to think more deeply and listen more carefully and see more clearly. Second, I think time in the desert can lead us to a realignment of the heart. Adam Russell Taylor, who's the executive director of Sojourners, talked about this recently in, in the context of justice workers. He said, many justice leaders burn out because their starting place is righteous indignation rather than steadfast love. As Christian leaders and activists, he said, we must constantly resist the dangers of self-righteousness, absolutism, and at worst, demonizing and hating our opponents and enemies, which has become all too common in this nation we live in. We must overcome the evil that is external, he said, but also 
the evil that lies within. And finally, the desert, I think, offers the opportunity for surrender because all authentic spirituality requires letting go. Letting go of illusion, letting go of ego, letting go of sin. And Jesus spent 40 days fasting and wandering in the desert before he faced and overcame the devil's three temptations of immediate gratification and power and control, all of which prepared him for the public ministry that still lay ahead of him. You know what I think? I think fundamentally Jesus' testing in the desert was about this. What am I going to do with my life? And what does my life mean? I mean, look at him. He's all alone in that wilderness. He has never preached a sermon. He's never yet healed anybody. He's not yet told a story. He's not yet taught a lesson. He hasn't even started his ministry yet. So, Jesus, who are you going to be? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? The real temptation and testing aren't just a matter of choosing right and resisting wrong. It's a matter of asking, what is God's will for me? What is God's path for me? What am I going to do with the rest of my life? And what will it mean in the world? And what will it stand for? That is the test. And that's the question your wilderness is asking. The beautiful thing about the way of God is that every morning brings a fresh opportunity to respond to that question. To get up and to live into it for Christ's sake, for the world's sake, and for your own. And so living Christ, thank you for braving the desert for facing the tempter and for giving us power to face him too in our desert. Give us all grace wherever we are to find you standing alongside us. And we ask you to feed us and lead us and help us to go with you into the hard and holy places that would help us know who we are and what would bring us nearer to you. And it's in your name we pray this morning. Amen.